This is the Mark Podcast from Lifeway Women. We're your hosts, Elizabeth Heineman and Kelly King. Each episode, we'll talk about what God is doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you've joined us today. Has God called you to lead? Whether you've been a leader for years and are looking for new strategies, tools, and encouragement, or you want to explore your call to leadership, Lifeway Women offers training events that equip you to carry out your mission. We offer one-day and three-day leadership training in a variety of cities throughout the U.S. and online. We'd love to have you join us this year. Learn more at lifeway.com forward slash women's events. Hello, and welcome to the Mark Podcast. I am Elizabeth Hyman, and I'm here with my co-host, Kelly King. Hey, Elizabeth. Hey. We are recording this live from the 2021. Let's hear from our audience. Yeah. So glad y'all are here. We are at the 2021 Lifeway Women's Leadership Forum, and we are so excited to be doing a live podcast episode. So you'll be hearing it in a little bit in retrospect, but we are super excited. And today, we are so grateful to have Carrie Newhoff on the podcast. It's great to be with you. Thank you. Uh, We had his wife, Tony, on the podcast a little bit ago, so you may have heard that episode, and we're so excited to get to interview Mm -hmm. you today. Well, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for inviting me to the event. It's been great. Thanks. And we're going to talk mostly about your new book, At Your Best, which um, if you are in the live audience, you just heard a little bit about it, but our podcast listeners may or may not have heard about it. So we're excited to, to get to talk with you about that. Yeah, absolutely. So we've, we've heard you talk a little bit about the, about the book and just about leaders in general and what you've been hearing over the last few years, probably, you know, especially in a pandemic. So tell us about like some of the, the interviews that you've had, the stresses that you've heard from leaders and what, what maybe some of these women can relate to. Yeah, well, I think the last two years have been excruciating for almost everybody on numerous levels. I mean, there's been just literally millions of people who have lost people close to them. We've lived in a state of fear we're not used to. And the line I've heard again and again from um, business leaders, church leaders is, I've never worked harder in my life. I'm so exhausted. But there's, there's also a subtext to that. And the subtext is, I've never worked harder in my life for fewer results that when you really think about what's happening for most church leaders, for example, uh, I was just going through the stats. Thank you, LifeWay, for some fresh stats on this uh, this morning. But like the, the vast majority of churches are between 50 to 70% uh, attendance-wise of what they were before the pandemic. So you got to run twice as hard on the treadmill to get half the results. Nobody likes that. Nobody's wired for that. And at first, I think we thought we could sprint through it. My favorite metaphor from a year ago, uh, boring a little bit, I think it was from Levi Lusco who said this in an interview I did with him, uh, was, <laughs> you know, I thought, I thought I was running a marathon and I could do that. And then when I finished the marathon, somebody handed me a bike and a bathing suit <laughs> and said, oh yeah, this is a triathlon. And then 2021, you found out it's an Ironman and you've got to run a whole bunch of them on top of it and for diminished returns, which is very unrewarding. Only, I think it was 11% of churches 
have 90 to 100% or more of their pre-19 attendance. So you can bet, as driven, motivated leaders, we're diminished. And the challenge, and I started to notice this because the, the recurring theme I started to hear from leaders I was talking to a year into the pandemic is, uh, well, I'm just going to take a vacation. Take a vacation at Christmas. We're going to get away to the beach when things open up. But, you know, as I shared with the audience earlier today, time off won't heal you if the problem is how you spend your time on. Then, looking ahead to the future, the reason I think this conversation is even more important, I read a lot of stuff about the future, um, listen to a lot of podcasts about the future. Almost everyone is saying we're moving into a decade of instability. Hopefully not a decade of pandemic. Right. But America is becoming more post-Christian. So if you're in the church world, it's going to get harder, not easier. All the global supply chain disruptions we've seen in the second half of 2021 are not resolving anytime soon. There's a labor shortage that nobody can really figure out, a great resignation. We're dealing with inflation for the first time since 1990, the highest rate. And so when you look at what that probably says for the next few years is it will be complex, very complicated. And maybe not complicated in the way we've known in the last two years, but a new set of complications. So that raises the question of, okay, okay what's your strategy? Because right. if it's work harder and longer, you're going to be on the pavement flat out in no time if you aren't already. And there are some guys, I mean, like even in ministry leaders, women and men, I mean, I know two particular men that were in ministry that are gone, like they're out. They're not doing ministry at all. So uh, just got a text from our friends at Barna this week. I'm doing a podcast on this tomorrow with David. We never record on the weekends, that sort of time off, but this is so important. Last year, because I know this won't air live, last year, 29% of pastors were thinking of, seriously thinking about quitting, not just their church, but ministry. Today, the 2021 stat is 38%. Wow. So already, you know, some of those 29% left, and now there's a fresh crew of people seriously thinking about leaving. There's a brain drain happening in the church that is not good. But again, if you have an unsustainable pace, leaving ministry isn't going to solve that because burnout is a life condition, not a peculiar ministry condition. If I had left ministry, and that's why I didn't go. I didn't talk about that in the talk. But like in 2006, when I burned out, I thought, oh, this is why people quit. This is why people have affairs. This is why people buy sports cars because they're all numb. I still want to buy a sports car, but don't want an affair. All right. All right. So Tony's really glad about that. Uh -huh, yes. Uh huh. But you know, I didn't didn't blow up my marriage. I didn't leave ministry, and the passion came back because I kind of knew, oh, I'm bringing this disaster that is a human right now into everything else I would do. So don't blow up your life. Don't make stupid decisions. I always say, you know, people get called out of ministry. I left our church six years ago as a lead pastor because I really believe succession is done poorly and we have to do it better. So when I was 50, I handed it over to somebody 10 years younger than me. And then last year, I stopped teaching on a regular basis because that was the last part of the transition. So I still got a lot of life left in me. So I think you can leave, but quit on a good day after a lot of prayer and reflection and, and mentors breathing into you, we spent all of 2015, the summer of 2015, praying, seeking wise counsel. And it was when the church was healthy and when I was healthy, we did the transition. Not like, I can't do this anymore, so I quit. Just give up. Mm -hmm. I do think the quote of the episode is just going to be, don't make stupid decisions. Yes, so I think so. So if we can just all write that down, tweet that. Yeah, I need to take that to my glasses. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> you know what? But when you're tired, you make terrible decisions. 
You really do. That's why I talked about green, yellow, red zones. Mm -hmm. So green zone is those three to five hours when your energy is at its peak, when you're doing really great. And every human, all the research, like Cal Newport stuff, Daniel Pink stuff, all the brain research that's being reported now says that human beings are really only at their best three to five hours a day. That's your green zone. Your red zone is when you're exhausted, tired, hand me more caffeine, can't think straight anymore. Your yellow zone is all the stuff in between, green, yellow, red. It's how I divide my day now. I used to have meetings in my red zone. I made the worst decisions. I would call my assistant, Sarah, and say, who thought of this? And she said, you did? You did. I'm like, oh, okay. When did we have that meeting? 4.30? I'm like, oh, yeah. I had three brain cells left. Like, and that's on a good day. Yeah. Okay, so yeah, let's talk a little bit. I'm sorry, Elizabeth, Um, but... I'm thinking about a lot of women in this room and they're like, I don't have control of my calendar. Oh, I'm so glad you raised that. Especially yeah. with, like, have some fun? with kids. Yeah. It's like, they're awake during my green zone. What do I do, you know? Mm-hmm. You have- Celebrate, man. Like, yeah. <laughs> go have some fun if that's your green zone. No, uh, a lot of people, so let's talk about the work context first. And then we can talk about time off and how you spend your green, yellow, red zone. So... Um, in a, in a workplace, so this does not apply if you work at a factory, if you work as a barista at a coffee place, your 40 hours are pretty much determined. You're slinging macchiatos until your shift is done. But for a lot of us, we're in uh, a knowledge worker environment. So this is true when I was in law. I had no lawyer, senior lawyer, tell me, all right, work on this case now. If the case was due in the morning, yeah, I'm working on that for a few days prior to that. You have a lot of discretion. So I pulled thousands of leaders about how much of your 40 hours a week is actually spent in what I call command performance activities. In other words, staff meeting is Monday morning at nine, leadership meeting is Tuesday at one, creative team meets Thursday morning from nine to 11. You know what the average hour is? The average answer is five to 12 hours a week. I've never heard anyone say more than 12 hours in a knowledge worker environment. So think about that, right? You think it's everything. I don't have any control, but let's plot out a worst case scenario. Let's say it's 20 hours a week. Half of your working hours are spent in, I have to be here and then I have to be here and then I have to be here. You know, that still gives you control over 88% of your week. There's 168 hours in a week. If 20 are controlled by other people, that's 88% control. So focus on what you can control, not on what you can't. And what a lot of people discover is that if your green zone, your best hours are from 7 a.m. to 11 a.m., talk to your boss and say, hey, can I come in a little bit earlier? Or maybe you want to spend some of those with your family. That's up to you. Can I come in a little bit earlier and leave a little bit earlier? When I worked in law, um, it was only for a year. And I was committed to not playing the, the stupid game that so many downtown lawyers played, which was they worked 18 hours a day, seven days a week. I knew I was going into seminary. I said, listen, I will give you a great year of my life. I will do my best, but I'm leaving after a year. They hired me anyway. And because I was leaving, I don't think I would have done this if I knew it was a career in law. I thought I got nothing left to lose. And I had a mentor, a friend, who didn't work the crazy hours. So I would come in at, and I was fairly newly married and we were expecting our first child. So I had a lot of motive to want to go home. I'm like 26, 27. There's two students in the firm. One guy I knew from law school and me. I came in at seven. I would work really, really hard. I would sneak out at four o'clock in the afternoon when all the support staff left I was the lawyerish type who would sneak out the elevator with them, hoping I didn't get noticed. <laughs> and I would go home and see my wife, and then later in the year, our new son. 
Nobody ever called me on it. Uh, so I only really worked 45, 50 hours a week. And in those days, it was pre-internet. If you brought a file home, you had to bring a file like home with you. So uh, I couldn't really work from home and I didn't. And never worked a weekend, only worked evenings if I was in court and coming back from out of town. So long story short, end of the year. My other, by the way, the other part of the story is my friend, he played the Toronto game and worked 18 hours a day, worked all evening. It was so bad at some firms. Our firm didn't do it. I want to give you an idea of the culture. There were firms I knew of, and I had friends working there, where the firm was so big, they had cots in the offices so you could sleep there overnight so you didn't have to go home. And some of them had in-house chefs so you didn't have to leave so you could keep working at your desk and they'd cook you a meal for free. So that was the culture. I bucked it. I'm like, I'm going home. I love my wife. So I went home. Now they knew I was leaving. At the end of the year, they came to me and they said, Carrie, we want you to stay at the firm. I'm like, I, I can't. I'm, I'm called to ministry. He's like, well, how much do you make there? I'm like, about 30000 a year. He's like, well, that's stupid, right? I'm like, so they offered me a lot more money than that. And, and then I kept saying no. And he said, Carrie, no, you don't understand. You're the only student in the history of this firm that has made us money. You made us over $100,000 in this last year. I'm like, what? I still said no, went into seminary. You know what they did with the other student who played the game? They let him go. Wow. He didn't generate money for the firm. So you can accomplish so much more. And I just kept flexing my hours so they worked for me. And I won all but two cases that year. I just went in prepared, you know, and I'd say they were unwinnable, but that's me. Anyway, so, you know, I, I just, I think you, you can focus on what you can control, not on what you can't, and you make your own rules. And if you deliver results, your bosses are going to love that. So if you want a time shift because you don't want to miss your daughter's game or your son's practice or whatever, you just say, hey, I'm going to come in early. I'm going to get my work done. I don't even count the hours of my team. I have eight staff right now. I don't care how many hours they work. I'm like, I hope it's not 50. But if you want to get done in 35, I don't care. I'm paying you for what you produce, not how many hours you work. It's an outmoded way of thinking. And uh, if they can get it done faster, awesome. Yeah, so what you said you would talk about at home. Oh, yeah. So for our stay-at-home moms or, or people who have to schedule their schedule around their children's or their husband's schedules, what about that? How do they do that? So there's some negotiation involved for sure. But what you want to think about is uh, in the same way, there's a Venn diagram of your passion, your gifting, and your impact for work. What am I naturally good at? What do I love doing? And what moves the needle on the mission? There's probably similar things at home that are way more organic and touchy feeling. But what is, what is a good family moment? What um, would make our marriage better? And so let's look at a weekend, green, yellow, red zones. Um, it's probably better for me to spend relational time in my green or yellow zone than my red zone. And my natural pattern is I get up in the morning, I love doing stuff around the house. So maybe I wash the cars, I mow the lawn, trim the edges, that kind of stuff, you know, get my house looking so OCD perfect. That's what I love doing. But then by the time it comes time to spend time with my family, I'm already tired. Well, a really good use of your red zone is what if I actually spent the relational time earlier in the day, took people out for breakfast, had a coffee, relaxed, played a game, and then I can do the other stuff in my yellow or red zone. And so start to think about it that way. And also realize one of the big lessons for employers has been uh, you, you, don't, you probably can't line everybody up green, yellow, red, so it's perfect. But what you want to do is avoid the red zone. 
I had one large organization that had about 80 staff and all really smart people, they hated their leadership team meeting. And when they overlapped all of their green, yellow, and red zones, they discovered that most people were in their yellow or red zone. All they did was move it by two hours and suddenly the meeting came alive. Now, you probably have a dynamic like that happening in your family, where if you really started to plot the energy of everybody in your family, you would realize oh, the reason we always fight at 7 p.m. is we're all exhausted. So maybe you all go to the corner and catch a quick nap or have some time alone. And then when your energy reboots, you do that. Or that's why family games night is always destroyed because you're exhausted. So you move that to before dinner and then you order takeout or something like that. So you're trying to maximize time, but you're also trying to avoid disaster by not trying to all be together as human beings in that red zone. And I always say nothing good happens after 7 p.m. If you want to ask me... Agreed. Do you agree? Oh, so much. The answer is always that no is my and red get zone, out. for sure. No, leave, yes, right? Just go to bed. Go to bed. Just, yes. Have you and, seen those party banners that are like, please leave by nine? <laughs> oh, I need one of it's those. like, welcome, but please leave by nine. Yeah, yes, exactly. I need one of those. Exactly. No, I think, I think you have to be so careful about that. And that's okay to declare, like, there have been days... And I haven't burned out in 15 years, but there are days, yeah, you get tired. You got jet lag or you're in a different time zone or whatever. It is okay to walk away from the computer, shut the laptop and say, I'm going to bed at 8.30 tonight and I'm going to start over again tomorrow. Somebody once said, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just done. Yeah. And somebody once said 70% of discipleship is a good night's sleep. Mm. That person gets a medal. Yeah. They're so right. I'm at my most kind when I have my... When I have the most margin, right? Right. If you if you talk to me today, I'm pretty rested. I had a good sleep, had a great dinner last night, came into here with energy, and I can be a, a good Christian. I I get it. Mm -hmm. I know. Talk so, to me on other I, days. It's like Satan. So yeah, like I, some of some of my team might say that. I don't know. Um, so yeah. So with your family, you can plot that out a little bit. So at work, you're suggesting even at work. Like everybody kind of do this, like figure out when everybody else is in those zones so that you can kind of synergize, right? Yeah, and so you have to really think about this. If you're thinking about like team dynamics, what the most strategic spend of your green zone at work is will vary from person to person. So I only have three direct reports. I rarely use my green zone to meet with my direct reports. Reason why, I can actually function quite well in my yellow zone. Try to avoid the red zone. I know, I knew this, so let's do the church filter because I led a church as a lead pastor for 20 years. When I was preaching well, when the vision was crystal clear, when the team was relationally aligned, when the culture was healthy, and when we had the money we needed for the future, our church did great. If one of those five things disappeared, we started to wobble a little bit. So I knew the best spend of my green zone is in those five areas. So preach well, write great series, crystal clear vision, team harmony, um, healthy culture, and money raised. So I would spend a lot of my green zone in those areas. I could do the management of people in my yellow zone. For example, I'm a podcaster. I'm, I'm, uh, we're pushing 20 million downloads on the podcast. Amazing. Which is incredible. Uh, people think I spend all my time doing that. I actually never interview in my green zone. Rarely, unless we have like some weird time zone right. thing with Australia or England or whatever. But if we're dealing in North America, I always interview in my yellow zone, but I do my prep in my green zone. Mm. 
Because the prep is the quality of thinking that goes into an episode. I need to be at my best. Uh, as long as I have a good script, I can do that just fine in my yellow zone. And I most days do an okay job of asking the questions. So you've got to think creatively about that. Now, if your main job is that you're a manager of people and those key strategic relationships are the most important contribution you have, then definitely think about doing some of those meetings in your green zone. But for me, that's not the highest value. I know we're about out of time, Elizabeth. Yeah. So I did yeah. want to ask, so you're... You have, like you said, a very successful podcast, and you're on a very successful podcast right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yes, you're here. here. <laughs> so I don't know, um, other than the March podcast, what other podcasts do you listen to and would you recommend to mm. leaders? I listen to a lot of different podcasts. Well, in the Christian realm, Craig Rochelle, awesome. Love his podcast. Craig's a good friend. Listen to Andy Stanley. Um, who else do I listen to? Let me pull out my phone. That's so what I always have to say. I, listen to, I yes. listen to a lot of mainstream podcasts because I find that I really think differently as a result. So I'll give you a couple. Simon Sinek has one called mm-hmm. A Bit of Optimism. Seth Godin has a great mm-hmm. podcast. Uh, often listen to Business Made Simple. Tim Ferriss, The Tim Ferriss Show. Um, John Mark Comer's Live No Lies. Whenever John Mark Comer does something, I'll listen to it. Those are a few that I listen. Oh, and Rebuilders. And then Gabe and Rebecca Lyons' uh, Rhythms for Life. Listen to those. So... Those are mm-hmm. all. Those are all really good. Mm-hmm. We'll have links to those in the show notes. Masters of Scale, by the way, to Reed Hoffman. Okay. okay. Yeah, Silicon right. Valley. A lot of business podcasts. Uh, because I find that often, if I only listen to ministry podcasts, I get a narrower view. Yes. But sometimes, if I'm listening to something on AI or Web 3.0 or uh, something out of literature or just a completely different field like marketing, I can bring those ideas into the church space. And that's one of the things I really like about your podcast. Mm. Um, and I, I encourage you all to subscribe to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. But one of the things about it is it's a variety of people. You really do a good job of bringing in different types of leaders. And so I appreciate that. It's very random. Yeah, it's good though. Hmm. Okay, so our podcast is called The Marked Podcast. And the question we always ask our interviews in the interview is, what has marked you in your life Hmm. with Christ? With Christ. You know, it's interesting. I, my mind immediately went to that burnout season 15 years ago. And at the time, I would have told you my life was over. I felt like it should have been over. And I saw no future. I really thought, wow, you got the church to 7800 and now you're roadkill. Like, good for you. And it was a very, very dark season. And I couldn't imagine 15 years later that our marriage would be restored at the level. And again, we didn't have an affair. We didn't have any of that stuff to recover from. It was just, you know, she married a a man who's complicated and difficult sometimes. And, you know, that our marriage would be restored, that we would be enjoying life, that my optimism would come back. And what I really saw in that season, it took me a decade. I mean, every time I thought about it, I just shuddered. And, but the last five years have been very redemptive in that period, in that sense. And looking back on that now, I could see that that is something God was doing. I think I can say doing at this point. I would say God allowed. Now I'd say, no, maybe God was doing that. And he broke me so he could use me. Mm, I had a moment. Yeah. 
I had a moment in seminary, I haven't thought about this in a while, where one of my favorite professors came up to me. This was in Toronto. We were just talking about sports, like baseball, the Blue Jays, that kind of thing. And he just kind of put my hand on you. He did this, put his hand on me, looked me right in the eye in the middle of just talking about the weather and sports. And he goes, Carrie, God is going to use you, but before he uses you, he's going to break you. And then we went right back to talking about class. And I'm like, whoa, you know, what was that? It was a prophetic word. Yeah, Yeah, thank you. And again, I'm Presbyterian. I don't even know how to receive that, you know? It's like, like, what is that? I have no idea. So I I was, and you, you don't forget stuff like that. And I kept thinking, you know, I'd have a little fender bender in my 30s. Lord, is this the breaking? Thank you. (laughs) Wasn't that bad? It only cost $500. Um, But then I think the breaking happened when I was 41 and I burned out. And God was saying, you've got these gifts, Mm. but they need to be redeemed. Mm. And I need to break you to use you. Mm. And I had no idea being overwhelmed with what I was leading at the time that it would be 10 or 100x down the road. Mm. But I'm better equipped to deal with that now. And so for the first time a few years ago, I could look back on that burnout period with gratitude. So that marked me and it shaped me. Wow. I love the way the Lord redeems. He does. does. It was redemption. It was like, and you know what I was so worried about? And this, I just had this conversation this week with a leader and I wish I could put this in the book or, but the book's published. Um, I was so scared that if I really went deep with God, he was going to take away the secret sauce that made me a leader. Mm. I was afraid he was going to break my drive. I, I, I thought, you know, I was just going to sit there and basically be ineffective for the rest of my life. And of course, that's a lack of trust. Yeah. And what I realize now is he was saying, well, that probably would have led you into a ditch that was hard to recover from. But if you give it to me and you let me redeem it and you keep surrendering it, I'll give you more. Wow. And I wish I I knew that at the time, but I just had to trust him. And, you know, God's good. So if you got to go deep, it's because he wants to take you far. That's so good. I'm so sad that this is over. I know. Because I think think it's going to be so helpful. It really is. So thank you. And listeners, if you're listening to our podcast today, we so appreciate you being our listeners. And we want you to come back next week. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in on the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Kelly D. King and at E.D. Heineman. Use the hashtag Marked Podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at LifewayWomen.com slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the podcast. We'll see you next time.